Hello and welcome to episode 147 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Vienna, Virginia. I'm Ben Olson and with me in Los Angeles is Nathan Fox. How's it going, Nathan? Awesome, dude. I've got a huge rack of ribs that I'm going to cook tonight for because I'm having all my friends over for dinner, having a little party here in my uh, new place in Los Feliz. So looking forward to that. Okay. Yeah. So all, all three of them are going to come on over? <laughs> Both of them are, are on their way. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, with the Costco size thing of ribs, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a lot, a lot, a lot for all three of us to eat. But uh, so you're uh, you're kind of a barbecue uh, expert. I make one thing. No, I make one thing, which is braised uh, braised pork, basically. So I'll do pork shoulder, or I'll do pork ribs um, with like carrots and onions and stuff. Cool. Yeah, it always comes out. Well, you only have to do one thing. Yeah, yeah. I got one one recipe for for both of those dishes. I cook them exactly the same way. Cool. Well, today on the show, we, um, we have a quick reminder about our class that we'll be teaching in New York City on July 14th and 15th. Um, and we also will be talking about an article from U.S. News that goes over different preparation methods. And believe it or not, some preparation methods will decrease your score. So... Um, <laughs> You definitely want to know about those. Do we have anything else that's uh, exciting in the emails that you can remember? Oh, the normal, just, no, I don't know. We got a big backlog of emails to crank through, so we should just go ahead and dive into those. I I do want to talk about the weekend class. Um, I I forgot to mention that on Friday night, we're going to have a little social hour, and people are welcome to come hang out with us and and just say hi, even if you're not going to be able to sign up for the class. So like I have a couple of my students and, and friends and stuff who have already emailed me podcast listeners and stuff who are just going to be around town. They're not going to take the class, but they're going to come hang out on Friday night. And cool. I want to encourage people to do that. It'll be fun to uh, get together with the whole crew on Friday night. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to talk about the class itself. We're going to be going over test 84, which is the, uh, June 2018 LSAT. And as we do that, we're going to show you how to approach each section of the test, uh, all three of them. We're going to show you how to effectively review your timed sections. Um, I think people ask me that all the time. Okay, I know I need to take timed sections. How do I review them to get the most out of them? And we're going to show you how to develop the right mindset for test day. I mean, a lot of this stuff you've heard on the podcast, but we'll be doing it in the context of official LSAT questions which will make it a lot more concrete and stick in your mind and get you ready for either the July test or the September test. So if you're interested, sign up. It's three ninety five, and it will go Saturday and Sunday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And, um, That's $3.95? Yeah, it's $3.95 <laughs> times 100. <laughs> Yeah, 395 bucks, and you can take a f- class that's two days, two full days of instruction from me and Ben. I think that's a bargain. Um, you can reach out to us about rooms, too, because we're, we're zeroing in on a venue. So if you need a hotel room, we might have a suggestion for where you can book a room. I was just kind of assuming that most people are going to be crashing with friends and stuff. But um, we will be uh, posted up at a hotel somewhere nearby if you're worried about accommodations for the class. Yep. As far as prep test 84 goes, I'm excited to dive into it live. It's one of my most favorite things that I do is I always teach the test live. You know, I never like sit down and prepare. God forbid, I'm not going to prepare anything, Ben. Um, 
<laughs> no, I, it's like Christmas for me that I get to see these new questions. And because what I really like to do is demonstrate, you know, here's how I genuinely, here's how I answer this question. Yeah. And I only get to do that like once or twice. I mean, if I drink a lot and I forget the questions, then I get to do it over and over again. The first time that I see a question, I, it's fun. I get, I get to, you know, people are like, oh my God, look how nasty this logical reasoning question is or whatever. And then I get to just, I get to approach it and, and, and see how I genuinely respond to it. And I feel like there's some powerful uh, teaching in that sometimes. Where, yeah. you know, because students get to see it like, oh, shit, he really didn't just know the answer there. He, oh, I see how he, how he did it. Yeah. It's one of my, the most delightful, I don't know, it's stupid. I, I love LSAT teaching. I just love it. It's, it's so fun to be able to explain this stuff to people. Um, it really does make perfect sense. And so that's my joy as a teacher is that I get to just show people, hey, here's how it makes perfect sense. Anyway, it's always fun with a brand new test, and that's what we'll be doing with Prep Test eighty four. I agree; it is fun, and it is. Um, what did you just say? You said it was. It makes perfect sense. I love it when people are stuck too, and it's like, okay, where did you lose me? Because we're just gonna rewind, start right there, and figure out what like step in the chain. <laughs> You lost because it's all going to add up and make sense in the end. We just have to figure out what piece of the puzzle you're missing. Yeah, absolutely. Then it will make sense and you'll be happy. Keep pushing back. Keep asking questions. The The worst thing you can do is just sit there in the back of the class and, and like not understand but not give any indication that you don't understand. <laughs> the yeah. people that are sitting there like trying to act smart and pretend like they get yeah. it when they don't, um, you're doing yourself a disservice and you're not letting me help you if you do that. Uh, I know that I can be a little bit, I don't know, gruff when I'm teaching sometimes because I'm, I'm serious about the test, you know, I'm serious about understanding it, mm-hmm. but I also am happy to explain it 10 different times. If you're not getting it, I'll keep explaining it 10 different ways until it makes as much sense to you as it does to me. Cause I promise mm-hmm. you it makes perfect sense. Yeah. On that same note, I was like yelling at my online class members yesterday about second best answers. It's very, very similarly, similar topic is that mm-hmm. students just love to, to, they love to go like, well, but if B wasn't there, then it would be D, right? Yeah. And then I look at D and I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it wouldn't. It's yeah. like there's really yeah. not three good answers. I mean, there can be tempting wrong answers, mm-hmm. but you, there's something about them that make them conclusively wrong. It's really not like let's weigh and balance and find the best one. It's it's. I, I find that less and less frequently as I the longer I've spent in the LSAT world. Do you have that same experience where it's like you used to kind of think that's what the game was, was like process of elimination and pick the best one. And, but now you're sort of realizing, Oh no, the ones that you can eliminate can really be eliminated. Like four of them. Yeah. There's some word or something that you're missing. And as soon as you focus in on that word, you're like, okay, yeah, that's completely wrong. Uh, I mean, there are some cases like in a strengthened question or a weak question where one answer might strengthen just not as much as another, but in most cases, they just do nothing. 
Right. They do the opposite. Right. And, and it'll be like, well, but this could help, right? But when you think about it a little bit deeper, you're actually helping the answer choice. Like you're, Mm -hmm. you're filling in some, it it doesn't actually say what you hope it says like that when you're trying. And, and so then it's like, yeah, okay. If you want to call it the second best answer, you can, except for it really, really sucks though. So it's just not, it's not like it's almost there. It's pretty much garbage. And then this other one is clearly better. I love it when um, someone's defending some wrong answer and then it's like, okay. And they just don't give up. Right. Which, which is, um, which is good. They, they should push through if they still don't understand, but it's like, let's stop here and let's talk about the assumptions you're making. First, you're assuming X and then, you know, you're also assuming Y and now you're actually assuming Z and they're like, Oh yeah, well, Hmm. Okay. So you're making three assumptions to make this answer choice work. And yes, yes. The correct answer requires you to make one assumption, but look at these three assumptions and compare them to that one assumption that you have to make to help the correct answer. And the assumption you have to make to help the correct answer is so much less debatable. (laughs) Right. It's not anything that people is going to cry that people are going to cry about if you say I think this is true. They're going to be like, yeah, I think that's probably true. I think Thursday does come after Wednesday. I don't see a lot of problem with that. Yeah, and and to go back to the directions which we like never ever read, right? It's mm-hmm. all right, we always forget to look at the directions, but I, I should start maybe make a note for myself to to go over the directions once with the classes to just there's the one line there that says, this is at the top of the logical reasoning section, and it says, you should not make assumptions that are by common sense standards implausible, superfluous, or incompatible with the passage. Mm-hmm. And so that's what's fre- frequently what's happening. That's what you're talking about, right? Somebody's like yeah. really pushing hard for B, but yeah, but B, but because of this, and what about if this and that? And then it's like, well, you're assuming so many things. You're, yeah. you're assuming implausible or superfluous or incompatible things. Yep. All of these assumptions you're making, work. yeah, don't make sense in the context of what we were talking about here. And I think a lot of times they're doing that. They're pushing so hard for that answer choice because they are upset about some assumption that they have to make to help the correct answer make sense. Yeah. But like when you tease out those assumptions and you make them explicit, it's like, well, how reasonable is it to make this assumption and how reasonable is it to make the assumptions, not just one, but the assumptions that you have to make for the wrong answer? And it's like, mm, yeah, I have to jump over a lot of bridges that are really creaky to get this answer to work. And I only have to make a step over this one small little creek <laughs> to make the correct answer work. So just go with it. Yeah. Absolutely. This is all making me want to circle back to my primary advice for logical reasoning, by the way, which is simply just predict the answers before you start looking at the answer choices. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, part, that's part of the reason why it makes so much perfect sense to me. And that's why the answers are so clear is because I'm, and you too, obviously, are taking that extra moment to really let it sit in and really think about, okay, well, here's what their evidence is and here's what their conclusion is. And I can see a little bit of a gap with that. And I'm going to kind of probe on that gap and I'm going to think about what's missing here and talk about why, you know, maybe it's flawed or why here's what the assumption is. And, and when you go through all that analysis before getting trapped by the wrong answers, 
I think you're going to be far less likely to make all these weird assumptions because what you're doing when you're frequently, when you're making all those assumptions, what you're doing is you've decided you like an answer choice and now you're going to try to make a case for it. Yep. You're building up that stack of cards, that house of cards to support it. Yeah. You're reading a, and you're like, Oh boy, I hope this is the answer. Let me try to make this into the answer. (laughs) You know? Yeah. It's just the exact opposite of how, um, somebody who's going to, who's going to really breeze through it is just going to do it in a completely, in completely the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Okay. That was a long tangent. Yeah. What were we even talking about? I don't know. <laughs> we were going through the teasers at the top of the agenda. I think we, we, we were talking about the New York, the New York class, which is July 14, 15. And you need to sign up right now on thinking com. given what we just said that is all evidence for the claim (laughs) that you must sign up for this yes by the way i was going to say something else about reading the passage first since we're talking about it um what surprises me when i talk about reading the passage first or when someone gets a question wrong and we start going over the passage and we start I start listening to what they think about the passage and they say things that are a little inaccurate or they they kind of skim over some things that are important. Um I'll kind of point things out. I'll say, well, wait, what what did you think about the second sentence? How do you what what'd you what'd you think about it in relationship to the first sentence? Do you do you think that's weird that they said that right after saying that other thing? And they'll be like, oh, yeah, well, I guess, oh, I guess what they're saying is this. Yeah, mm-hmm, I think they are. Yeah. And then we go through all that and like the light bulb comes on and they understand the passage and they go through the answers. They find the correct answer and we're done. And they say, hey, so what's the takeaway from this? And they're like, oh, I need to read more carefully. And it's like, yeah, that's true. Um, but that's kind of general advice. Like that's something that you could tell your friend and they'd be like, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's almost impossible to disagree with, right? You have to read more carefully. But to me, that seems more like a goal than the concrete steps that you go through to actually read more carefully. Okay. And so what I like to tell people is I like to say, look, you need to read that first sentence and sometimes not even the entire first sentence. Sometimes you're just reading up to a comma or something. And then you're like, I've read enough. I need to stop and make sure I know exactly what was said. Gather my thoughts and be like, oh, okay. And then continue reading the rest of that sentence and make sure you understand that as well. But um, in addition to making sure you understand the first sentence, when you go on to the next sentence and you're reading it, not only do you want to understand it, but you also want to think about how it relates to the first sentence. I just can't believe how many people read the first sentence, seem to understand it, read the second sentence, and I'm already thinking like, what? this is weird. Why, why are you going in a different direction? Or, oh, you just told me this one thing and now you're quoting someone else who has a similar opinion on this issue. I wonder if you agree or disagree with this person. Like, There's all sorts of things that you can think about not only about the individual sentences that you're reading, but how they relate to what you've already read. And I just feel like people miss that step of thinking about what the sentence means, not only by itself, but in relation to what's been said Yeah, in the context of everything. And so 
reading carefully means like engaging on a sentence or even clause by clause level and reacting to what you're reading. Absolutely. Um, Students don't realize that you can frequently answer the question after you've only read one sentence of the stimulus. Yeah. I mean, when they say something broken, if you read that first sentence, I mean, the first clause of the first sentence, there's times where they'll just like confuse sufficient for necessary just right there in that first sentence. Yep. And if you go 2% too fast and you're just already reading the second sentence and the third sentence, then mm-hmm. now all you're reading is all these just red herrings and traps and bullshit. And you yeah. already missed, you've missed the shortcut sign because you're in such a goddamn hurry. Same yeah. thing happens on must be trues. They'll give a premise and they'll give another premise that connects. Yep. But yep. students won't take the time to make the connection. Nope. Then there'll be another premise or whatever other bullshit. It's just the arguments just droning on and on and on with all these other ancillary things. And it'll say which one of the following must be true. And the answer will be something that you could have put together after you read the first sentence, mm-hmm. right? Like there were two premises in the first sentence. Yeah. And you could or have put them the together. Two sentences, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, but it's like right at the top. It's like the first half of the argument. And because you didn't take that moment to, to like, oh, you said this and you said that, therefore you must mean this, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> Another, uh, speaking of must be true, another common thing is for them to have the first and last sentence relate to each other. And as you're reading it and you read the last sentence, you're like, oh, hmm, that kind of relates to what you said at the beginning and would mean X or whatever. And that's the answer. But people are just too like myopically focused on what they're reading right then and there. Yeah. Here's a good test for you, by the way. If you're reading the, not for you, Nathan, you already know this, but dear listeners, if you're reading a passage and then you read the question and you cover up the answer choices and you can't loosely predict some answer, like you can't, I'm not asking for an LSAT answer. I'm not asking for their like jargon. I'm just saying an intuitive answer based on the passage and the question in your own words, in plain English, if you can't do that, then you don't understand the passage well enough. It's simple as that. Yeah, I, I think that that's 100% right. It's, it's like, well, tell me, what do you think about this? Are you yeah. thinking about this? Yeah. Can you tell me what you think about it? If not, then uh, you're just not getting it. Yeah. All right, what else we have? Uh, we got to move forward on the agenda. Huh? Um, if you don't know about it, there's the Facebook group. There's 571 members there now. And then we have 22 patrons on Patreon donating 112 per month. Thank you very much, everyone there. If you're not on Patreon yet, you should definitely get there. It's just beneficial for you to donate to something in your life, right? So it might as well be the Thinking LSAT podcast. You guys can always email us at help at thinkinglsat.com. And we have all this Twitter stuff. My Twitter is here. This is crazy. I don't ever use Twitter, so I should take that off. But you can tweet us at Thinking Elsa, and you can tweet Nathan at N Fox. Um, yeah, I actually Olson, like Twitter. I, Twitter is my favorite of all of the social medias. Um, I don't, I don't really use anything else, but I, I do. I like Twitter for just news and and jokes and bullshit. Yeah, and so I and I like I, I really do like um, connecting to 
students and listeners that way because if people use Twitter and they do, or if they're doing interesting things on Twitter, then it becomes really fun to follow people that I actually know instead of just following, you know, Kanye. Um, so please, uh, please hit me up at InFox on Twitter. Uh, I, get, I mean, you could even send me a, a direct message and let me know that you're a listener and then uh, they'll have a better chance or just whatever. Tweet at me. Just, just let's talk about, let's talk about shit on Twitter. It's fun. So yeah, I'm at Infox, and the show is uh, at Thinking LSAT, and Ben, maybe someday Ben, you'll get into it, but he's... All right, I'll try it this week. How about that? That's at Olson challenge. Benjamin. Yeah, you just, yeah. The, the key, I think I've told you this before, but the key is you just got to follow a few people that you find to be, you know, interesting in some way. So follow Elon Musk or follow, um, I don't know, whoever you feel like following and yeah. see, if, okay. see if you like, cause then it, <clears throat> I mean, I literally don't ever look at any news besides that. Like that's just Twitter is my news app. Mm. I click mm. on Twitter and it, it shows me just immediately. Here's what's going on like right now, you know? And it's also, here's what people are saying about what's going on right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. But I fall, so I end up getting like, I end up getting influenced by people who I want to be influenced by, um, because I follow like, you know, Ricky Gervais. So I'm, I'm going to hear what Ricky Gervais thinks about, what who, the president who said. Who is Ricky Gervais? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I'm, I'm not kidding you. I'm Ricky Gervais is um, one of the greatest comedians of our time. He's a British fellow <clears throat> who created the original UK office, and then he was also one of the creators of the you know American version of the office. He wasn't on that show. He was on the UK office, but he created... Okay. He, he got multi-bazillion dollars off of The Office. He just had a comedy special come out on Netflix. He's had made a million other shows, um, really great uh, shows for HBO. And he's basically a genius. He, he's also one of the first podcasts I ever listened to. He did a podcast. He and uh, Stephen Merchant did a podcast with uh, uh, Carl Pilkington. I think Carl, the name Carl Pilkington might have even been in the name of the show. Um, he was basically like this buffoonish character that these two comedians, Gervais and Merchant, were just like mercilessly making fun of all the time. But anyway, it was hilarious. It was one of my first exposures to the podcast format. Huh. Okay. So, um, cool. Yeah. I just downloaded the app, by the way. The podcast app? Oh, wait, sorry. Yeah. The, you mean the Twitter app? Twitter, yeah, as yeah. you were talking. So Excellent. Excellent. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, you just you got to curate it. You got to you'll 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 get the hang of it. You're gonna, you'll follow people at first, and then you'll realize, oh my god, these people tweet all the time, and they're so annoying. And then you can mute them, or you can unfollow them, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I I mean I follow like hundreds of people because I like having a a full feed. Just literally twenty four hours a day. If I click on Twitter, there's always new stuff at the top. Oh, apparently I'm already following people. Stephen Colbert. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. I did. Didn't even know. Perfect. Who I could follow? It recommends Donald J. Trump. Yeah, you could definitely follow <laughs> the Jimmy orange Kimmel. one if you wanted to. <laughs> no, I think I will pass. Yeah, for your mental health, you're gonna go yeah. ahead and not follow the president. Yeah, I checked out of that for a while, ago, a long time ago. All right, cool. I'm ready. So, um, tweet me. Apparently, I'm not following you though, Nathan. I'm sorry. I wouldn't follow me. I wouldn't you oh, okay, well, I'm gonna do it anyways. <laughs> okay. I'll apologize <laughs> in advance. <laughs> All right. Cool. 
Um, so then uh, you can always find out about our classes if you go to strategyprep.com or foxlsat.com. Nathan teaches classes in LA and San Francisco. I'm in DC and we also both do one-on-one tutoring and we both have online classes and not to pile on too much here, but we have started a personal review package that we're both excited about. It's $995, but you get both of us reviewing your personal statement, which I don't think you can find anywhere else. When this first one comes out, it's going to be so good. It's it is. Good. It, I can't believe how good it is already. Did we talk about that no. on the show? No, we haven't talked about it on the show, but it was just like I did some back and forth with uh, this. We'll we'll keep them anonymous for now, but I did I did back and forth with this guy about just getting some theme and and uh, that that sort of thing. Getting finding the voice, you know. Yeah. And um, I <laughs> I went back and forth a couple times, like, hey, you know, you need to. You need to be showing here, not telling. And it like got worse. Like the second draft yeah. was worse. Yeah. Where it came back with literally no no showing at all and like only telling. And I was like, mm-hmm. hold on a second. See all this? This is way worse. You're not going the right direction here. Go the complete opposite direction. And then it came back with one paragraph of just like absolutely a home run. Like I couldn't believe it. It was like, holy, there we go. Yeah, that's when you forwarded to me and I was like, what? Is this the same person? <laughs> no. I mean, it was like an amazing. It's an amazing story. Uh, where where was this before? That's what you just people say they can't write about themselves or they don't have anything to write. But there's stuff there. It's just you got to find it. Yeah, yeah. Well, he he definitely found it. So he's still he's working, I guess, on the. Uh, he's trying to put together a full draft of it now. But uh, boy, if he keeps going in the same direction that he was going, it'll it'll be out pretty soon. And uh, he's already given permission to read the like previous drafts and the actual uh, on the show. So we'll be able to show people the uh, transformation. Cool. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Did you have anything else, or should we dive into this study? No. Let's yeah. Let's get into it here. So this study is comparing LSAT preparation methods. Methods. What the data say. This is an article from 2016 um, in U.S. News, but it's interesting. So I thought I would bring it here and talk about it. Um, A couple things. It says, among the methods we'll focus on, self-study was the most popular with 54% of respondents reporting using that method. I think uh, So they're looking at LSAC's data, and I think that when you take the test or when you sign up or something, they ask you how you prepared for the test. Got it. Is that what you remember? Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyways, um, I think that's right. But So they said 54% self-studied, 44% reported using non-LSAC books, 37 reported using official LSAC materials, and 32% reported using commercial test preparation services. Only 2% said they didn't do anything at all. In any case, all those numbers, by the way, if you're following along, add up to more than 100% because obviously people did more than one thing. But here is some data that I thought was funny or interesting or, I don't know, strange. Actually, it's not surprising. It says... This is, I'm just quoting the article here. It says, not surprisingly, the data confirmed that preparing for the LSAT is a good idea. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> those who didn't prepare scored significantly worse than those who did. But it's not just whether you prepare, it's also how you prepare, of course. 
So it says, of the nine methods the study examined, four created worse results for the respondents. Those were using the LSAC's website sample questions. <laughs> oh, no. That is just bad news, right? What? Right? So <laughs> of the nine methods that were examined, four created worse, worse results, and one of those was people who used LSAC's sample questions. So if you go onto LSAC's website and you review their sample questions and their explanations, your score will go down, apparently. Well, their explanations um, are garbage. I mean, we've, they are garbage. we've seen that yeah. before. They're, yeah. They make it, they just brutally overcomplicate things. They just make they it do. harder than it mm-hmm. needs to be. Well, it's, it's funny, too, because, you know, in the Super Prep book, they have explanations for the games. And the Super Prep games are actually pretty challenging uh, tests. A, B, and C, but um, they have this sort of funny thing where they're like, you can do whatever you want to set up your diagram for the games, um, and you don't even have to set up a diagram if you don't want to, but here's how we would do it if we were to do it, and when I look at what they've drawn, I'm like, this would take forever. It's like, it's sort of like a piece of art, <laughs> um, not in a positive way. It's just so elaborate. And, um, yeah, so I don't know <laughs> who writes the explanations or how they relate at all to the people who write the questions and how those people relate to, uh, the actual test because they seem to be very disconnected. But in any case, yeah. um, the next thing that did not help people's score actually made their score go down was undergraduate institution test preparation courses, which we, again is totally not surprising, right? They get we some knew that. professor. We, yeah. that's, I mean, uh, that's, that's probably worse than Kaplan and Princeton review. When I hear people say, Oh yeah, there's a, there's a class through my school. I took the one on campus. It's like some yeah. professor, some philosophy professor or something who thinks that you yeah. could be a LSAT teacher and yeah. just teaches them these totally bogus homemade ideas for how to how to tackle the LSAT. Yeah, that's not surprising. So these are actually making your score go down. You actually get yeah. worse mm-hmm. by doing these things. Yep. So the third one, uh, oh, well, the third one's useless. It says other preparation methods, so we don't know what that is. And no preparation at all. So sitting on your butt, watching Netflix, makes your score drop, apparently. Um all the other prep methods, when used, produce better better results than when they weren't used. Okay, the data is also consistent with our general advice. This is the article continuing: prepare a lot, take numerous real practice tests, and engage a tutor or preparation course to make sure you have learned all the techniques necessary to achieve your best score. In any case, I just thought that was pretty funny that LSAC's sample questions actually resulted in a worse score. At least for some large group of people. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a bummer, but it's also not surprising. I, I, from what I've read on the you know the super prep explanations, just that it looks like they were written by someone who was trying to explain the question in such a way that they would not get sued later. Mm, mm-hmm. Like it looks like it looks like the legal team passed across that explanation <laughs> before you know. The legal team looked at it and was like, well, we can't say that. We can't make it that clear. We have to obfuscate here a little bit in order to make it so that we don't subject ourselves to liability. Of course, this is pure speculation, and it probably didn't actually happen, but that's just how they write. Yeah, it's how they write. It's their their, uh, department uh, pre- 
kind of a director of customer delight. Right. Right. Okay. So don't do any of those things. Yeah. Which, yeah. Well, anyways, I, I wonder what that means about the, the Khan Academy. Well, I guess we can comment on that. I haven't seen a ton of the con free stuff yet, but I, what I did see of it, I saw more than one very poor logical reasoning explanation. I was just, I was just really disappointed Mm -hmm. um, where it was, I expected it to be dry. You know, I, I wasn't, I didn't think it was going to knock my socks off as far as like, wow, this is, it might be, be dry, but thorough. Right. Right. I was expecting it to be exactly. I was expecting it to be dry, thorough, technically correct. Yep. But boring. And yep. it was dry and thorough and boring. The problem is I don't I didn't think it was technically correct. Um Well, that's interesting because I had seen some and I didn't even think they were thorough. I feel like the uh, question was like which one following had half-assed it. Yeah, which one following is most supported? It's like, well, this is not most supported. And so we're like, well, well, duh. That's why but it's why? wrong. Why not? But isn't why isn't it most supported? So anyway, but yeah. yeah, so you some you saw were thorough, but not technically correct. That's even more. Well, concerning. they just they're doing the typical thing of over convoluting it into, you know, it, I might as might as well just go ahead and give it give them the free advice. They can fix it if they want to fix it. Um, mm-hmm. There is a question type. That doesn't exist. That they continue yeah. to think exists, the and that is question. a principle question. And it's a question. The question said, "Which one of the following principles, if valid, would most strongly support the statement, or something like that?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is a strengthened question, and they didn't have it labeled as a strengthened question. They had it labeled under like methods and principles and something, and then their written explanation of this question said the word principle like four times as if principle does anything on the LSAT yeah. principle is just thing principle is yeah. like just element it's like a fact doesn't it's matter f- yeah it's just a thing and, mm-hmm. and it's like which one of these things if it's true is going to help the argument and they're like mm-hmm. well on a principle question we're looking for a principle that provides the sense of a principle that like <laughs> what are you doing and I just I can imagine people just getting so caught up in this idea that that this is something, you know, now they're just, hey, would you rather have one method for solving strengthened questions or would you rather have a method for solving strengthened questions and then this other method that could just confuse you even though it doesn't help you to solve this question, which should just be more properly thought of as a strengthened yeah. question. Yeah, because if you start thinking about all that technicality, and it's first of all, it's not based in the fundamental... <laughs> logic of the question it's just like some nuance that they're harping on for no now we will go into the realm of lsat abstraction and we'll start throwing around the words methods and principles and structure and all this shit (laughs) yeah no wonder your score goes down because now instead of just like thinking about the question you're oh wait this is a principle question and oh especially if you're reading the question stem first then you're really oh. fucked. Because then, you oh. then you're like, this oh, is this a principle is a principle question. question. I'll just skip it. Or I'll just, I don't know, do something <laughs> stupid. Oh, man. Yeah. Hopefully it'll get better okay. over time. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic that the con free class is going to provide some use to students. But um, so, well, I don't know. The people on the Facebook group, our Facebook group, have not been super complimentary of it yet. And from what I've seen of it, I'm not, 
I'm a little disappointed. Yeah, I agree. Anyway. You want to take this next one? Oh, yeah. This is just a quick update. Uh, Hey, Nathan and Ben, I'm listening to podcast 145, wherein Nathan asks what VR means as a sign-off on email correspondence. It stands for very respectfully and is common in the military and among civilian government contractors. Ironically, I always find that this abbreviation does the opposite of what it intends to do, as the writer can't even take the time to type a proper sign-off. Think about it. The correspondent wants you to know he expresses respect. No, a very high level of respect, but he has no time or energy to put it into words. Many who use the acronym build it into their email signature, so it applies to all messages, no matter the content. As far as I'm concerned, they might as well sign off with IDGAF. (laughs) So that's the origin of VR, Jessica. Um, we already talked about that on the last episode, but I was amused by Jessica's uh, <laughs> Jessica's opinion that you could just put IDGAF there and it means the same thing. And I, and you think about it, it kind of does make, I mean, really, very respectfully. It's very respectfully. I typed two letters for you. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, I was trying to think of another uh, phrase for that uh, IDGAF. Like, we need to make something else that fits the LSAT. Just so many letters. Something anyway. else that fits the LSAT that means IDGAF? No, it doesn't have to mean it. It would just be something else. So then you could use that and people could think that it means what it traditionally means, but it actually means something else. Oh, you want to shoehorn in some sort of LSAT explanation yeah, into like I did IDGAF. Games after French. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Okay, we'll have to think about that. If it, listeners, we'll put it out to the listeners if they if they want to send us a, what IDGAF stands for in the LSAT context. Yes, yeah, and then we can start using it, and people are like, man, this show is really they don't care about anything, which is actually <laughs> true. So that doesn't matter. <laughs> Next one. Yeah, Ben and Nathan, aloha. If you read this on my podcast, on my podcast, what? please do not read my name. Hmm. Um. Okay, we won't read it on yours, but we will read it on ours. I hope you two are well. Thank you. My name is Sergeant, Sergeant Blank. Something. Sergeant Blank. Blank. And I am fairly, a fairly new listener to your podcast. I have thoroughly enjoyed your frank discussions about the reality of law school and the LSAT in general. You're both doing great work, and I thank you for that. I am in the military currently, and I haven't heard you two talk about applicants with military backgrounds yet. So I figured I'd reach out. I had a few questions about how to plan for the LSAT and about applying to law school in general. First, some background on me. My numbers are as follows. One, I have a 3.1 GPA, bachelor's in poli-sci and international relations. Okay, okay, Mm. okay. Combined with my ADD, I've received a few poor grades, which tanked the 3.5 I was carrying. Hmm. Okay, so I feel like you're blaming your poor grades on your ADD, but it seems like your ADD would either affect all your grades or just, or none of them. I don't know. Yeah, two excuses is uh, one and a half too many. You know, it's like, yeah. for one, your grades are what they are. Let's get down to business. For two, if you're, like, if you're thinking about this in context of an addendum that you're going to write. Mm-hmm. You don't want to blame your minor in Spanish and blame your ADD. Oh, sorry, now, I skipped over that. But yeah, the minor in Spanish is where I went wrong when it comes to my GPA. That's what he says. Yeah. 
But yeah. combined with my ADD, I received a few poor grades. It's like, okay, well, which is it? Is it ADD or is it Spanish or are you just not that great of a student? I mean, you got a 3.5, even a 3.5 in poli sci and international relations. It's not like that's like rock star status, mm-hmm. right? Poli mm-hmm. sci should be an easy major. You should get really good grades in poli sci. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's just that to me, I'm like, okay, well, you're going to have to get a really good LSAT score. That's, <laughs> that's, that's all there is to it. Yeah. If your poor grades were all in Spanish classes, then separate that out and just say, Hey, look, this is what my GPA is minus Spanish. Yeah. And let's yeah. leave, let's leave the ADD out of it. Yeah. Cause that would affect your other classes Two, I have a 4.0 associates in intelligence operations. Okay. No one cares. I Don't think care. about that. Yeah. 4.0 in masters, same deal. Um, technical certification. No, it doesn't matter. Oh, whoa. So here we go. Now we're talking. Point number five, he says, I have a 163 cold LSAT score. I hope that's timed. Um, if it is, that's an extraordinarily high cold, diagno- cold diagnostic. So nice work. Um, he says, three years, I will have six at the time of application of military service. Wait, you will have six. So you're going to apply three years from now with a year and a half of special forces support. Okay, he has access to the GI Bill, Yellow Ribbon Program to help pay for law school. Great. Any comments so far? The 163 cold LSAT score is like all that matters in all of this story. Yeah, cut all this out. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, that's what's going to catch their eye. And then when they see all this other stuff, you know, okay, your grades were whatever, but your LSAT score is so high that they're going to be willing to believe you. The master's, a master's degree is nice. You know, that's a feather in your cap. And if you've got good grades in your master's program, I mean, you should get good grades in your master's program, but that makes you interesting. You've been doing intelligence operations and cybersecurity. They don't hear that every day. Um, the military service stuff generally is only ever going to help you. That's, that's all really, really good. I mean, as somebody who employs um, some some helpers, you know, hourly employees, um, I have noticed that people with military backgrounds, um, they're on their shit, man. And yeah. I've noticed this in my classes too. My students over the years who have been who who have uh, been in the service, they have a work ethic. They're they're used to grinding it out. <laughs> they're used mm-hmm. to they're used to getting up at four thirty in the morning and someone screaming at them and them going and running five miles. Yeah, you know, and they're they're just they're they're hard workers. They're dedicated, and you know that's the no. The law schools are are really gonna like that. They have had the similar experiences working with members of the military. Yeah, and so this is going to be a a feather in your cap for sure. For sure. I was going to say, they also all get the phrase, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. <laughs> they do? Yeah. Well, it's a military thing. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I always think of it in the context of like putting a gun together. <laughs> you know? Oh. If you're going to put a gun together and you try to go fast and you mess it all up, it's like, well, now you're dead. But- slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start saying that. I like that. Yeah. 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 So, um, Sergeant Blank continues. I've wanted to become a lawyer since I was about eight or so. Okay. No one cares about 
your youthful ambition. <laughs> yeah, everybody can stop saying that. Just just don't ever <laughs> say that again. I don't care. And so, like, how many five year olds wanted to become president? Right. So, <laughs> or astronauts, <laughs> firefighters. <laughs> firefighters. Well, it's like the thing is. Lawyers don't know, uh, sorry, eight-year-olds do not know what lawyers do. Nope. And if you think eight-year-olds do know what lawyers do, then you don't know what lawyers do. Yeah. So it just, it's not a, just stop, just don't say that. Yep. Okay. This dream has stuck with me for as long as I can remember. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Okay, I'm pulling it together here. (laughs) Look, I don't mean, I don't mean to be, um, Sorry. <clears throat> laughing, but that's just, it's something that a lot of people say and we just got to stop. Yeah. We're not saying that anymore. That's, yep. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's done. I don't care about your childhood dreams. Dude, have you gotten the one too, where I feel like I've read several personal statements where people talk about how they, they were concerned about like justice on the recess playground. <laughs> I've heard that more than once. Have you heard that? Wow. Uh, I think similar, similar things, similar. Yeah. Like, you know, some kid was doing some mean thing and I, even as a young child, I was determined to like stand up for what was right. And sort of like, that's just biology, dude. Like, okay, let's talk about the present. Anyways, I know that's not what you're saying here. (laughs) It just has nothing to do with lawyering and just you're... (laughs) You're you're basically you're you're displaying some naivety about what your likely path in the legal world is going to be. Yeah, I mean, I just all this like I'm going to be a social justice warrior. It's it's just like yeah, okay. There's some chance maybe you are, but most people who go to law school aren't, and so especially when it's like, here's how I, you know, here's what I felt in high school and here's what I felt in college and stuff. And like, I was trying, you know, the, the plight of the downtrodden and all that. It's like, yeah, but I would just so much rather hear about how you really like the work that lawyers do every day that you like worked in a law office and just loved the the paperwork. <laughs> that yeah. Make, that makes so much more of a compelling, like, I believe you <laughs> when you do that. Anyway. I should say, I, I think uh, Sergeant Blank is going to go on here on here and explain why this is still a dream of his. But I would say this, if you've had a dream to become a lawyer for most of your life, um, anyone out there who feels like they've been dreaming of this for a long time, the burden is actually on you even more so than most people to prove that you should go because you don't want to fall into the trap of just going because some idea was planted in your mind when you were very young and impressionable. And now you feel like this innate need to live up to that idea. You have to be even more skeptical than most people of that idea and where it's coming from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, I would like double down on that even it's like, Oh really? You've had this dream for your whole life. Okay. Well now I'm going to expect that when I look at your transcripts and your resume and everything, I'm going to see just like you inevitably marching toward this goal. Yeah. Where's mm-hmm. where's the track record to justify this lifelong dream that you claim? Yeah. Anyway. So he continues. With that said, though, the 2008 recession hit my family hard. I saw how not having a secure job market can really impact a family. 
and this dream became nothing more than a dream. As I graduated high school and college, I became obsessed with the idea of creating as much opportunity as possible. Okay, kind of vague. This was mm-hmm. reinforced when I graduated for, from college in 2015 and saw how strapped the market was for new grads, especially with liberal arts degrees. This was the primary driver for joining the military because of the opportunities it could lead to in the civilian world. I was about halfway done with my contract. My contract is up in 2022, and I'm starting to plan for the future. While the military is not for everybody, it has been a boon for me, or to me. For example, it has allowed me to get an additional associate's three professional certifications and put me in a master's program on Uncle Sam's dime. Okay. Furthermore, the military has allowed me to mature a bit post-undergrad, and I'm now more confident that I will make the right decisions regarding law school. With all of this said, the dream of being a lawyer has once again started to creep into my daily life. Why? Have you been working with lawyers, lawyers or attorneys in the JAG program or something and then saw what they did and said, okay, I want to do that? Or did this youthful... Your ambition just creep back into your head. I just want to know where Sergeant Blank is going with this. This is a long-ass paragraph. What's This what, is. What? Do you have a question? I found myself doing research and thinking about going to law school almost on a daily basis. Okay. I'm curious what the effect of having outstanding softs has on an application. Obviously, a high LSAT and a high GPA are the two most important factors when it comes to the application, but from the research I have done, serving in the military is one of the softs that truly can have an effect on one's application. Is there any truth to this, or have I been misled? Yes, it can help you. That's what Nathan was just saying. But um, your LSAT score and your GPA are still the most important things, and the LSAT score is what you have control over right now, so that is the most important thing. And you're doing very well on it. So just focus on that. And yeah, I think military background might be one of the best softs. That said, you're gonna that you that doesn't change now. So get back to work on your LSAT and stop stop fantasizing. Yeah, yeah. It's like okay, great. Now I don't have to worry as much about my LSAT or something. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't understand the yeah. Okay, given that I have three years to study for the test and apply for school. Apply in fall of 2021. How should I space my studying out? Do not study for three years. Study for the next three to six months and take it. Take it in September and see what you get. Yeah, except, boy, that that's so far out that the score might be expired. Three, do well, a lot of schools want to score at least the last three years. three years? Yeah. So maybe maybe wait, but I mean, September, I guess it would last. When would, would, so if you took it in 2018... No, he's applying for fall of 2021. No, so applying would... in fall of 2021 because the contract's not up until 2022. Oh. Oh, yeah. Well, okay, so you might have to wait till next year. Yeah, he could take it any time next year and get it behind him. I think that's a fine plan. Yeah. I'm hyper-focused on... Well, just you have the flexibility, so wait till you have a good three months in your life that aren't super crazy. You anticipate to be somewhat Okay. I'm hyper-focused on getting a 170 plus to make up for my poor undergrad performance and believe this to be achievable within a three-year window. Yeah, well, if you start next year, just in case you need more time, you'll have it. Uh, How do schools view technical certifications when it comes to the application? I have no idea. 
Probably I not at all. Care. Yeah. By the way, I would say you said I'm hyper. He says I'm hyper focused on getting a 170 plus to make up for my poor undergrad performance. Um, I don't think that's going to be a big problem for you, given that you're starting with a 163. That's incredible. Um, uh, hopefully, most of your points were lost in the games, and you can just pick them up, and you'll be in the 170s pretty soon. I mean, it's it's still challenging, of course. It's top three percent, but it seems very doable for this person. Finally, assuming I'm able to get a 170, what school should I be looking at? Don't ask that question. You have to figure that out yourself with the GPA LSAT calculator or the 509 reports. With my Intel and cyber operations backgrounds, I would like to focus on IP right or digital rights. Okay, IP rights or digital rights. Would a T15 school be out of the question considering my poor undergraduate GPA? Nope. Not if you get a good LSAT score. This is interesting. T15. I don't think I've ever heard T15. Yeah, I, another, I don't know. <laughs> just another label. If there's any advice that you guys have that I would, I would greatly appreciate it. I think of myself as a realist, so please don't hold back in answering my questions. Thanks a lot. Says thanks a lot and mahalo. And mahalo. Yes, sorry. Sergeant Blank. Um, yeah, we're not going to stats debate. People can stop inviting us to stats debate. We're not going to do it. You can figure that out on the 509 reports. Uh, people, you know, what they want is, yeah, but I'm different and special though because of my military background. So now can you stats debate? And it's like, no, I don't know. It's just like whatever you normally, whatever the ranges would say on the LSAT GPA calculator, but maybe just it's a little bit more generous for you. I don't know, but I can't quantify that. I, there's no, <laughs> there's no point in any of that anyway. You're going to apply. It's just a number. It's just a, it's just a likelihood. <laughs> What is it? What difference does it make if it tells you that you have a sixty percent chance versus a forty percent chance? Are you now not going to apply? Are you going to apply like with less effort because it, <laughs> you have a sixty percent chance? Like I'm going to apply so hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I think and, you're exactly right. They the want way, that permission. When you do apply, they are either going to one hundred percent admit you or they're going to one hundred percent deny you. So the percentage thing doesn't do anything at that point. Nope. You just apply broadly and see who gets back to you, and then you start negotiating with them. Yeah, apply apply broadly. Um, since you uh, you think of yourself as a realist, Sergeant Blank, um, this email had so many typos, dude. So many. Like, oh yeah, like fifteen. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Don't do that. Clean your shit up. Um, we appreciate you reaching out. Thanks for writing the show. Um, this email really needed to be about one third as long and it needed to have like not 15 typos in it. Mm-hmm. You, you're, it's a, it's an insult to your reader. You're not respecting their time when you do that. Yeah. So I don't feel personally insulted. I'm just telling you if you're embarking on a career as a lawyer, if this really truly has been your dream since you were eight, you need to clean your shit up because lawyers don't do this. Yep. Okay. Next one? Yeah, go for it. Love your podcast! Exclamation point. I'm looking forward to signing up for one of your LSAT prep classes in the near future. I have just started my preparations for the LSAT, and as you have recommended, I took a cold diagnostic of the June 2007 test and scored a cold 150. I am motivated to score even better given my poor undergraduate performance. Where have we heard that before? Um, 150 is a 
that's right around just the average cold starting score. I'm, I am never afraid when I see a cold 150. Yep. Uh, with a cold 150, you should be able to get yourself into the 160s eventually. And if you can get yourself into the 160s, then I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to try to tell you that this is not the right path for you. Yeah. So you're in good shape. Um, I listened to your 141st podcast where you highlighted that Thomas Jefferson Law School and Concordia were giving out free scholarships to students who scored a certain decent score on their LSATs. That is great news. And thinking about this opportunity and I thinking about this opportunity, typos, typos, typos. God damn it. Why don't people edit, Ben? I don't know. Just read your email one more time before you send it. I am in total agreement with your mantra about not paying for law school. However, I wanted to get your opinion on what you make of a recent story published in Above the Law about the ABA putting Thomas Jefferson Law, quote, on probation for being out of compliance with numerous standards required to maintain accreditation. Furthermore, hypothetically speaking, what if I get into Thomas Jefferson and then this school loses its accreditation over the next three years while I am attending this school or a situation in which after my graduation, I still haven't passed the bar. And at some time, this school is in the dumps with ABA. What? For this reason, I am having some reasonable doubt about attending Thomas Jefferson Law, even if they will be offering free tuition Take care, and you guys are the best. Love to hear this discussion further on your next podcast. Cheers, Neil. Um, oh, and then later, another. we followed up a, a, a little back and forth. Neil sent a link to this Above the Law story from earlier this year. And then Neil continues, from what I have gathered from this article and hearing from others is that the school can no longer sustain itself academically or financially. Moreover, students were transferring out and the incoming class has shrunk dramatically as well. I appreciate you guys will be spending some quality time on this topic. As we all know, there are a few infamous law schools in a similar predicament uh, like Cooley and Florida Coastal. So from my perspective, the main dilemma here is... Do I just run after the free tuition offer and not worry about the risk of the school closing down on me or getting unaccredited sometime in the near future? I subconsciously cannot afford to risk moving my family to SoCal and then face the prospect that my school has been put in the doghouse. I know you have mentioned that law school ranking or reputation, especially for lower tier schools, do not really matter, but is there an exception to Nathan's law? Thanks. I value your opinion on these matters. I have binged almost 30 of your Thinking LSAT podcasts this weekend. It is really good. (laughs) How is that physically possible? (laughs) Well, the one and a half speed. So So that's still... Or two times speed. Yeah, I guess that's like 20 hours. I guess that's like... 18. uh, Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Well, hey... Maybe it's a three-day weekend, and uh, Neil's really just going to town on it. Um, yeah, we can definitely comment about this. Yeah, I, I would. I wouldn't go to a law school that might be closed down. I wouldn't want to deal with that at all. What do you think? Uh, then get yourself a better full ride to some yeah. other better school. Because if you're gonna, if like. The next best thing, what is your next best offer? 
because it's probably not that great. If if you if you're going to end up paying, it just had better be a goddamn great school to justify that sort of a risk. I f- I feel like. I mean, people do become lawyers from not accredited law schools, right? There is such a thing as state accreditation. You don't have to be accredited by the ABA. People do sometimes go to non, non-ABA schools and still become actual lawyers. So there's always better schools and there's always worse schools. The fact that Thomas Jefferson is going to get unaccredited by the ABA doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to go out of business. And it also doesn't it's not necessarily going to get unaccredited. I mean, we've heard about Golden Gate being threatened by, uh, on this for years. Literally my entire career, Golden Gate has been under this like threat of losing their ABA accreditation. Well, that hasn't happened yet. They just did, they just, they just finally did unaccredit that school in Arizona. So the ABA, you know, is actually flexing a little bit of muscle Seems like sometimes they might actually do this. Mm-hmm. But I just, my advice for Neil is get a better LSAT score, apply broadly, really weigh all of your offers, and then take the best full ride you can get. If you, because this risk, the risk of your school going out of business is not as big of a risk as the risk of you paying $150,000 and then not being able to successfully practice law. Those are two entirely separate things. I mean, you could get the worst of both worlds. <laughs> the worst of both worlds is the students who pay at Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, that's awful. I mean, if that's what you're going to do, then you're just, you're, you, <laughs> that's just financial suicide. So obviously we're not doing that. And I, but I just, I don't know. I'm not saying to people, go to Thomas Jefferson. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if you're going to pay to, for law school, you should seriously consider taking one of these other full rides because it's the odds are it's just not going to work out for you anyway. That's what I'm saying more than anything else. I think people aren't realistic about how frequently law school does not work out. It's like more than 50% for all of the law schools in the country. More than 50% of the people who go to law school don't end up practicing law. We were talking about that yesterday. Yeah. That it's like 40% of people who graduate from law school end up with a JD required job. Yeah. So it's just like half of the people who go to law school end up practicing law. Well, flip a coin, you know? And I would much rather go to Thomas or go to some school that ends up getting unaccredited or shut down but I didn't pay to go there. That's a hell of a lot better than paying full price and still not being able to practice law anyway, because I can't pass the bar or because I can't get a job. Yeah. I guess my concern is this. If, if the only free option that you can get is at a school that's potentially going to be shut down, I don't think you should go. That's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying don't go. If you must go there and don't pay. But don't go. Just don't pay. <laughs> as long as you don't pay, it's so hard to make a mistake. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm okay with some pain at real schools, but I don't consider these real schools, honestly, now that we're talking about it. Like, if they're, 
they're being threatened with shutting down because they have they're filled with people who shouldn't be there. And so I I just I don't think it's a good path to go down. If you're if you if you the only free school you can get into is these, don't go. Work on your LSAT score and get free tuition somewhere else. It doesn't have to be a great school, but it just has to be better than these. It has to be a school that's going to be around. I, I, I think we're almost entirely on the same page, Ben. I think we're saying yeah. the same thing in two different ways. I mean, I'm yeah. just, I have a hard time ever justifying paying anything for law school at all because of yeah. how many scholarships there are. I just feel like you should be able to get yourself a full ride somewhere. I'm sending dozens of students to law schools across the country every single year who pay zero dollars. And I want you to join that club. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just I, like the reason why I like to point out Thomas Jefferson or Concordia or whatever all these other schools are is just to say, yes, you too can go to law school for free. Not that you should go to this school, but that's always an option. And if that's your best option, you don't think that's a very good option. Well, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think your best option is a very good option. Yeah. <laughs> so if you insist, I mean, you're the one that's insisting on going to law school. I never tried to talk you into that in the first place. But if you're, if you're asking for my help and you're telling me that you, you know, really need to go to law school, uh, but this is the best offer you can get. Uh, oh, good luck. Good luck. You know? Yeah. Okay. Cool. I will continue. Thank you, Neil. All right. So the next one says, hello, both exclamation point. Thank you for hosting this podcast exclamation point. Because of you guys, I see the wisdom in reading the stimulus before looking at the question stem in LR. This has greatly helped with timing as I'm less likely to get distracted by the task exclamation point. I'm taking the LSAT this fall, September and November. My average score is 164, and the points I'm missing are in LR and RC. For Logic Games, I completed the Seven seven Sage Foolproof Method, and I now feel happy and relieved when I arrive at that section. Okay. Uh, Ultimately, I want to break out of the 160s purgatory before test day. After months of honing in, honing in, homing in, by drilling and reviewing, I'm noticing a pattern in LR and RC. Mm, a pattern. When reviewing LR and RC, I have two to three questions in a section that on my first attempt, I knew I wasn't grasping, and, no surprise, I didn't get the right question right. However, the majority of my incorrect answers, I did get it down to two answer choices and often still choose the wrong one. Okay. Well, that's pretty much everybody's story. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that you've discovered a pattern here if that's the pattern you're Mm-mm. referring to. But in any case, I know being 50 50 on an answer choice is an issue of being unclear on the stimulus or passage. When I am between answer choices, the difference between them is an overlooked word, misinterpretation of the premise, or oddly worded answer choice and oddly worded answer choice. When in this predicament, I go back to the material to look for what I missed, but sometimes don't find it find clarity. The question types vary, but in LR, the usual suspects are necessary assumption flaw and weaking questions. 
I am wondering if this accuracy problem is a matter of doing more drilling and review or if I need to rethink how I'm approaching LR and RC in general. I've always struggled with detailed and nuanced reading, but think this 50-50 issue is an opportunity for improvement before this fall. Well, for starters, it's great that you're getting down to only a few questions wrong, and it's good that you're down to the two most tempting answer choices. Some people are not there yet, but that's where most people are. So it's nothing really special. You just have to continue doing this and reviewing them and making sure you really understand what's going on after the fact if you can't do it during the fact. That's what I would say. Yeah, when you're listing off three types of logical reasoning questions, it probably just means you're not that good at logical reasoning generally. They're also very common questions. Necessary assumption, flaw, and weakened questions are very common. So the yeah. fact that <laughs> it's like you have the test. Yeah, the fact that you see those questions in your wrong answers often probably just more has to do with the fact that there's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And they tend to be harder. There tends to be hard flaw questions and hard necessary assumption questions. 50-50s very frequently means you didn't predict the answer. You should have predicted the answer. Um, when If you're saying the difference between, when I look, when I am between answer choices, the difference between them is an overlooked word. Yep. Well, lawyers don't do that, so stop doing that. Misinterpretation of the premise. Uh, lawyers don't do that either, so stop doing that. Or oddly worded answer choice. Well, that's the job of a lawyer is to read oddly worded shit and understand it. Yep. That just means you're not slowing down in the answer choice and trying to understand it when things get hard. When things get hard, you need to fight back and say, okay, well, let me understand the first clause of this answer choice. Got that. Now let me understand the next one. And if you can't do it during the test, then do it afterward until you understand it. Don't just look at it and be like, yeah, that makes sense. Next yeah, question. it just seems seems sloppy to me. Um, I don't think this is a matter of approach. I just think you need to take it more seriously. You're just going to have to be more careful. You're going to have to go slowly and carefully and actually understand what you're reading. This the, the last line is really scaring me. You know, I have always struggled with detailed and nuanced reading. Yep. What what do you think lawyers do? Perhaps this is not the best field for you. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm not. I'm not saying 100% don't do this. I am saying that is what lawyers do, is detailed and nuanced reading. I mean, the good news here is you have a 164. So you're in the top 12, 10 to 12% of test takers. So you have a lot of stuff going for you. You have the skills. Just go put them to use. Develop them and become better. <laughs> People are always writing us for tips. You yeah. know? It's just like, well, yeah, I mean, those ones that you missed, I don't think it has anything to do with categorizing and it doesn't have anything to do with, oh, I always narrow it down to a 50-50 and get it wrong. It's just, you missed that question. Why did you miss that one? Why did you miss this question? Why'd you pick the wrong answer? Why didn't you pick the right answer? Could you have predicted the answer here in the first place? How much can you learn from this question right here? I don't think it has anything to do necessarily with your approach in general. I just think it has to do with you're going to have to get your teeth into it. Yeah, I want to go over this sentence too. He says, when reviewing LR and RC, I have two or three questions in a section that on my first attempt, I knew I wasn't grasping. And no surprise, I didn't get the question right. Well, if you know you weren't grasping them, 
then why didn't you stop and reread them until you did grasp them? And if you just really couldn't grasp them for whatever reason, try to grasp them after the test is over before you look up the right answers. Because as soon as you look up the right answer for those questions that you knew you weren't grasping, you have now told yourself the answer. I was talking to someone the other day. They said, they said well, when I review questions that I knew I was having trouble with, and I look up the right answer, and I know what the right answer is, um, I tend to get it right. <laughs> or no, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's pretty obvious. They said, I don't know what the right answer is, but I know that I got it wrong. So I'll look up and I'll see that I got it wrong, but I won't know what the right answer is. And I'm like, well, look, yeah, I mean, if I came into the test and sat behind you, and every time you struggled with a question, I just said, well you're getting the question wrong if you choose that answer. You would then know the right answer. I mean, that's no, <laughs> that, that would be the biggest help in the world because everyone gets down to two questions. So if you have the luxury of knowing that you don't grasp something, then take advantage of that and go figure it out before you look up the right answer or know whether or not you're right or wrong. Because as soon as you know that you're wrong, you're going to know what the correct answer is. It's just as simple as that. Well said. I, I Yeah. I think you're right. I buy all that stuff. Um, I wanted to point out one other thing here. It, it, when he says, yeah, two or three questions per section that I knew I wasn't grasping and then I ended up missing them, that indicates, it seems to me, that this, we have, I guess it's anonymous, huh? um, this correspondent is trying to finish the sections, I think. Yeah. Right, like you're permitting yourself to miss those questions. You're just like, oh well, these ones I don't. I, I'm struggling with this one. Uh, all right, I'm just going to move on. Yeah, I'm going to finish the section though, and and then it's like, okay, but do you remember when we got an email a couple weeks ago from that correspondent who had scored 174 and hadn't finished a single one of the four sections? Yeah. Well, that person is scoring ten points higher than you are. They're not finishing, but they're getting a 174. You're finishing with all these sloppy mistakes and misreading things and not understanding premises and struggling with questions and like smoke is coming out of your ears while you're doing the test. <laughs> meanwhile, oh, I like that visual. <laughs> meanwhile, this other person next to you is just calmly getting them right. Yeah. And just not finishing the sections, but still just calmly cranking out a 174, doing less work than you are. No smoke coming out of her ears. Mm-hmm. Just calmly, you know, figuring them out. I think students give themselves permission to not understand shit. Yeah. Well, there's these few that I'm. Str- I was really str- I, w- I really struggled with those ones. I was struggling with that one. Well, yeah, you gotta you gotta struggle with it enough until it's not a struggle anymore. It makes perfect sense, I promise you. You just have to make it make perfect sense. Mm-hmm. And if you calm down a little bit, and if you don't race to the end of the section, I think you might be able to see how it actually does make perfect sense. And that's going to be the most efficient way to improve. Yeah, not to pile on here, but just one more analogy. I was at a swim practice this morning for my uh, kids, uh-huh. and. I actually think they started doing something. I think they copied me. I'm not totally sure. But 
when I swim there, I will swim laps and then I'll get out and do push-ups. And it's actually uh-huh. really hard. I don't know why. Like by the 12th push-up after getting out of the pool, I'm dizzy and I'm almost going to like fall over. It's like my body needs the water to not pass out. But anyways, um, so then I jump back in, swim, and then I jump out and I do push-ups and then I jump back in and but uh, go back and forth, right? So they started doing this at swim practice. So I was like, whoa. But the point of telling everyone this is that you have a bunch of people jumping out of the pool and then doing push-ups. And I would say, I mean, these are, these are kids. So about a fourth of them are doing actual push-ups and about three-fourths of them are doing these half push-ups that look like nothing. Like they just got on their hands and kind of moved an inch and then Ruth Bader Ginsburg push-ups. Huh? Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Ruth Bader Ginsburg push-ups. You can call those. <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah, in the movie, that was a she, thing. She does push-ups in the movie, and they're not impressive push-ups. Okay. I mean, it's impressive <laughs> that she's eighty-something years old and she's doing push-ups at all, but the push-ups themselves are like not really, uh, not really good form. Yeah. So RBG push-ups is basically what they were doing. Yeah, Perfect. I'm going to say that from now on. So they were doing RBG push-ups, and I was like, all these swimmers are going to swim for the same amount of time. They're all going to swim for an hour. And so you think, oh, look at, they all got their their practice in. But the ones who actually did the push-ups are going to get way more out of that whole hour than the others. In fact, if they did their full push-ups, jumped back in and swam, then came out and did their full push-ups, and then eventually like collapsed because they're like, you know what, I can't do anymore. I just have to like doggy paddle for the rest of practice that's still going to help them make more progress than these other um, RBG push-uppers. And I feel like that's what this guy's doing here. He's like encountering hard stuff and sort of like, "Eh," like I'm not going to work through that. I'm not going to push myself mentally to get through this stuff. And then so it's like you're basically practicing a bunch of easy stuff for you. And so you never really push yourself in a way that's going to help you grow and become a better test taker. Yeah, the idea is if he actually grinded through that question and sorted it out, it would be hard today, but he might actually realize that it's doable and easy. It's going to help all those other questions that are hard down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Anonymous. My turn? You. Okay, this is another one where we required the 75% word reduction before we put it on the agenda. Awesome. I don't remember this. Yeah, it might have just been me. Okay. Hey guys, love your podcast. It's been really helpful. And I appreciate feedback you give. Brief background. That's I'm a one naval... way to make it shorter, just cut out words. <laughs> I was going to say, wow, you're really trying to shave off that one word there. Um, no, I'm sure that was an accident. Uh, brief background. I'm a Naval Academy graduate, 2.8 GPA. Ooh. Excelled in my major courses, political science and Japanese, but the mandatory STEM classes brought me down. Sorry, I just wanted to say something in Japanese because this person apparently knows Japanese. Do it. Um, Let's see here. Let's see if they can translate this. So write this back to me. So that's your challenge. Let's see if they actually know Japanese. Nice. Yeah. Okay. During during the academy, my father was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and I lost two family members to suicide, Whoa! which in addition to the rigorous military environment contributed to less than stellar grades. 
Yeah. Selected as a Navy pilot and flew reconnaissance planes, became an instructor and mission commander, highly competitive billets. Uh, yeah, imagine being a pilot and commander is highly competitive. That's amazing that you were able to do that even with a 2.8. Yeah. I would have thought that you, I thought that those pilots like were just rock star students all the way through. Top gun, I wonder if right? they gave her a little dispensation because of her uh, tough family stuff during the academy. Yeah. Which, if they did, I mean, good for them. Um, my main questions are about letters of recommendation and personal statements. One, I've been out of school for eight years now, and most of my professors have transferred if they were military. The individuals who are writing me LORs include a former commanding officer with whom I have a very good rapport with. Oops. A former squadron mentor and my grad school professor, also military. Will law schools look down on having military supervisors write my LORs? Should I try to reach out to an academy professor for an LOR or will my graduate professor suffice? I think you're totally fine. Pure military. You're a fucking Navy pilot. Yeah, but don't you have to get at least one academic in there? No. I thought you did for sure. I thought they were preferred because you're applying to law school. Not anymore. Not anymore? What do you mean? What's changed? We used to say that, but I I heard Anne say it in my class just like this year, say, used to be the case that you had to get at least one academic reference, but now that you are... um, but. But nowadays you don't have to, and if you've been out of school for eight years, it's actually like more appropriate to just have more recent stuff. Yeah, yeah. They don't want to hear about your eight-year-old self. I mean, yeah. And anyway, she old. does have a grad school professor here. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Good so to know. That's fine. Yeah, and it just it needs to be. Yeah, I mean, people who know who you are right now, they know your career and they know what type of a person you are now, because surely you were a different person eight years ago. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I think you're fine. Two, for my personal statement, I'm not sure how best to relate my experiences in the Navy into something that'll stand out. I've considered writing on dealing with sexism and often being the only girl in the room slash plane, overcoming scary in-flight emergencies with engines stopping or catching on fire, or the death of my father and helping my mother with Medicaid documents and legal jargon just to get him admitted to the veteran's home for hospice care. Any thoughts or feedback would be much appreciated, Sarah. Hmm. I think, I mean, it just depends how you do it, right? Don't you think any of those could be awesome personal statements? Yeah. As long as they're personal, right? She says, I've considered writing on dealing with sexism, so apparently there's a personal story there. Um, Yeah, overcoming a scary in-flight emergencies. All these are potentially pretty interesting I might, I don't know, my gut is saying maybe steer away from your father dying just because it's dark and it's just, I don't know, like you have all this exciting, fun stuff you could write about. Yeah, overcoming scary in-flight emergencies with engines stopping slash catching on fire. Yeah, there's nobody else who's going to, no one can write that. Sexism, other people can write. I mean, sexism in the Navy, being a Navy pilot, that's a special angle on it, which nobody sure. can write about. Yeah. Or not that many people can write about it. But I mean, there's just not that many pilots. I think Navy pilot is what makes you, that to me seems like your brand. You're a Navy pilot. Yeah. I just hope there's something to say about that emergency. I hope it's not just like a 
you know, name dropping, so to speak. Oh, look, I survived this in-flight emergency. It's who you are, though. You know, it's going to, if it demonstrates you thinking on your feet and it allows you to just talk about your career as a pilot, you could probably talk about the sexism stuff at the same time in that essay. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I'm, la- I'm thinking the brand is Navy Pilot. Who are they getting? They're getting a Navy Pilot. Yeah. Why do you want to go to law school, Sarah? That's the part that, that they're going to ask related to that. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you want to talk about veteran stuff and things you've done in that realm, I think that's okay. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be like conflating this with a, an addendum about your poor grades though. Mm-hmm. Right? No. And you have to decide why you're going to do that addendum too. I mean, she's going to want to write an addendum about either her, the fact that she had to take all these STEM classes, which is, could just be totally legitimate. Or you could talk about your dad and these family members. I mean, that's all pretty rough, too. I think I might just say, like, she says she excelled in her major courses. I would just say, because part of the Navy pilot brand is that you're you're also, like you said, really competitive and s- smart and all these things. And A fucking astronaut, dude. <laughs> yeah. Like- so I would just say, look, this is my GPA and my courses. My major courses was this. Um I just had a lot going on. Yeah, I think I would say I had a lot going on with family. <laughs> and not try to like whine about it. Just say there was a lot going on. Here are the facts. Yeah. My father got cancer and two family members committed suicide. Period. Done. Then they're like, whoa, yeah, a lot went on with your family. But she was able to, and they're not going to think about it too much. They're just going to see that number, whatever it was. Hopefully it was like a 3-5 or something in your political science and Japanese majors. And then that will give them a yeah. number to think about. But then don't be done. then don't whine about the STEM classes. No, don't whine about the STEM classes. Oh, it's STEM and my family. It's just right. your family. Not both. Like we yeah. were talking about at the top of the show. Not both. Pick an excuse. If you're going to make an excuse, pick one of them, not, not multiple excuses. Yep. Not that these are excuses. Not that we're trying to beat up Sarah at all. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Just Sarah, the Navy you- pilot who could kick both our asses. Um <laughs> No, we're not. Speak we're not trying to. <laughs> we're not trying to to beat Sarah up here on the excuses. It's just that that's how it's going to come off if you do try to put both of those in there. Yeah, it's going to come off like you're just kind of wanting pity, whining, whatever. It's like which one is it? So you just have to decide. Even if it was both, you have to pick which angle you want to go. But yeah. I, Ben is 100 percent right that you need to show them your GPA without those STEM classes. Just here's here's the GPA in my in my majors. Yeah. All right. Anything um, else? No, I think that's it for uh, Sarah. Thank you. Should we do another email or are we probably running out of time here? Yeah, I think we could probably wrap it up there. Okay. Um, that was show 147. Thanks, all y'all, for listening. Nice knowing you. VR. IDGAF. Wait, what? IDGAF. Oh, yeah. <laughs> IDGAF. Whatever that means. <laughs>